Thank you, Sai. It is a lot of fun, uh, and we have some amazing people on our team, some amazing people in our church that help us make this happen. And uh, if you are joining us online, welcome. We're glad you are here. Um, but I'm also super glad. Uh, if you're in the room, uh, it was an exciting week, uh, getting this room ready uh, for this many people to do it again. Um, this is I've, been, I've got used to preaching just once in a day. Now we get to do three times in a day. We don't have the preach muscles for it yet, so be praying for us when we get to the 5 p.m. Anything can happen. Um, but I'm so excited that we are in this series in the midst of Supernatural September talking about spiritual gifts, a series called Gifted. We're at week three. It's actually the midpoint of the series. And as we've been looking at these different gifts that Paul talks about, and specifically we, there's other places where they get listed, but specifically looking at 1 Corinthians 12, there's two big things I just want to recap, two big concepts we've kind of introduced through the series that I think are so important as we step into our topic today. The first one James hit in week one of the series where he actually uh, looked at the balance that we need to strike between two two very important things, the Word and the Spirit. So often you find in church and across church and different spectrums, some will favor one over the other and some will, be, some will go for one and neglect the other. And it's a very dangerous place to be when we don't have that tension. When you're all Word, you get very dry, very dry in your experience, very dry in your uh, exhortation, very dry in how you apply God's truth. But if you're all spirit, we know it can get dangerous too because you're off with the fairies, you're freaking everyone out, it gets a bit crazy and it's, the big problem is it, it doesn't get grounded in the truth of God and so it can go dodgy really quickly. However, God always wants us to stay in that healthy balance of holding the tension between the two where His truth actually shapes us as, and grounds us in His Word, but then it also helps us apply it to the power of His Spirit because we can never do this thing on our own. We need His Spirit empowering us. The other big concept you'll find actually, in, and Sai touched on this last week, uh, in the, uh, the tagline of the series, which is uh, many gifts, one God, common good. And it's taken right from 1 Corinthians 12. I'm gonna read it for us. And then we're gonna get into what I'm excited to chat about and talk about today. It starts in verse four, where it says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ser varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what? For the common good. It's never just for us in our personal experience, in our own little closet. It's for the common good of all. And then we get to verse nine, and that's where we're gonna be uh, jumping in today as the gifts, the two gifts we look at are at this midpoint in part three of Gifted. It says, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another the working of miracles. And so today we're gonna be honing in on the gift of healing and the gift of working miracles. I know simultaneously there are people who have got very scared and others who got very excited. Don't worry, it's going to be good. I know God's gonna do something. Let me pray for us and we'll jump straight in. Father God, is, as we uh, gather together as a community, whether we're online or sitting here in the room, it's my prayer right now that you are a God who wants to reveal your miraculous nature. 
that you're a God who has a spirit that you've given to us as a gift because you know we can't do this thing on our own. Your spirit is the very thing that makes us alive in you and empowers us to live out the truth that you give us. Lord, would you, I, I just pray right now that even in these few moments that we get to share together, that you would do much with it, that you would speak to hearts, that you would speak to circumstances and situations, that you would give us new truth and new revelation so that we can live according to your word empowered by your spirit. Would you be with us? Would you be over my words? These are not my words, they're yours. Um, and I just pray that we would bring you glory in this space. And everybody said, amen. We're gonna dive into these two areas, miracles and healing, and we're gonna try to get very practical. And so towards the end, we're gonna get practical even if you are desiring those gifts, but also, if, you know, we can't preach on miracles and healing and not have a time where we say, hey God, would you do a miracle and would you heal some people who need it? Now, I wanna say that I think sometimes we have a smaller view than we need to in the midst of miracles and healing because we can get very one-dimensional in our thinking. But I wanna take the God approach to this, how he reveals it in scripture, which is quite a comprehensive picture. And so let me break it down, but it is a bit, I want you to understand on, off, off the bat, this is a comprehensive uh, picture. Very first heading for today is miracles introduced. Miracle is a word that is derived from the Latin word miraculum, meaning a wonder. So what do we mean when we talk about miracles? What are we actually talking about? Simply, and traditionally this has been accepted, a miracle is a special supernatural intervention in the natural course of the events of the world. It's a miraculous work because it is supernatural. It is the supernatural overriding the natural. It is actually the immaterial enacting power over the material as we would know it. Often it is unexplained. Often it is far beyond our understanding. Uh, things like science, physics, medical professionals cannot explain miracles and healing. You can have more degrees than Fahrenheit and not be able to explain a miracle. It is simply that, the supernatural overriding the natural. And then we get to this verse in 1 Corinthians 12 in Paul's list as he's given us this uh, list of gifts of the Spirit. And I wanna draw your attention to how he words it because it gives us a, a, an important insight as we understand what he is meaning and what God wants us to know about it. He says, to another gifts of healing and to another the working of miracles. I want you to notice that both of them have plurals. Both of them have a variety. Both of them have gifts of healing and the working of miracles. And there's an important reason for that. I think sometimes we can get one dimensional in our thinking on these things. And so when you hear healing, I'm pretty sure the very first thing your mind went to was physical healing bodily healing, healing over sickness, over disease, over something like that, broken bone getting completely healed. Can I just tell you, there is a variety of healings. That's why it says there's gifts of healing because God's view on healing is far more than just our physical. He actually is thinking of our spiritual, of our mental, of our, of our emotional. And so there is a variety in these gifts. The second thing that's important is it says by the one spirit. So in the midst of the plurality of the gifts, in the midst of the plurality of the vessels that these kind of gifts can come through and it can happen a million different ways, I don't want you to miss the oneness in it that there is one source. Because this is all about the giver who gives the gifts and not simply us who have hold the gifts that were given to us by God. It's not by our power, it's not by our might, but it's by His Spirit. So important that we set that foundation on the front end. 
I wanna take you through some examples of miracles through scripture, because it's important if we're gonna hold this balance between word and spirit, that we look at the examples of scripture and take from that the truth of God that he wants us to apply. And so some examples of scripture, you'll find many different types. As you go through uh, scripture, page to page, it is packed. Old Testament, New Testament, different types and varieties of miracles and different types and varieties of healing. And so you'll find miracles in the Bible uh, which are around nature. Genesis 1, God creates the world by His voice. He speaks and material things come into being. It was a miracle. You have moments like Exodus 14 where the Red Sea will get parted and the nation of Israel, million plus people, will walk through a sea on dry ground. You have uh, other moments. I spoke about this uh, in a devotion with our, our elders a little while ago where Elisha, the prophet Elisha, in 2 Kings will actually make an, uh, an iron axe float. Defy the laws of physics. Iron, metal normally doesn't float. That's not normal, but he makes it happen through the power of the Spirit. And then you have not just nature in terms of the physics of nature or or, or creation, but even created things being brought under the miraculous power of God. So you have Balaam's donkey speaking, intelligible words, that doesn't normally happen. You have uh, Daniel entering the lion's den and it actually says God shuts their mouth so that he is not eaten and he walks out safe and sound. You have other moments where Jonah is swallowed by a great fish, the whale. a great fish that was at the command of God swallowed him up. You then have miracles that are around resource. In the Old Testament, Elijah will feed 100 men with a few small loaves of bread. Jesus obviously is gonna one-up that and do it better because he'll do it twice. He'll feed the 4,000 and then he'll feed the 5,000. You then have God being the creator, so he, ha- he, he likes to get involved with things like human birth. And so in the Old Testament, Sarah, even in her old age, and she was old, she bears a child. And he ups it again in Jesus because we see Mary and the virgin birth take place in the Gospels. He's also about physical healing. Throughout Scripture, uh, the disease of leprosy plagued humanity. And yet in the Old Testament, Naaman gets cured of leprosy. In the New Testament, Jesus will heal a leper in the beginning of Mark. There's also spiritual healing. Jesus will up it. It's not just about the one thing. It's not just the one dimension. He wants to heal in a variety of different ways. And so when he encounters those who are tormented by evil spirits, those who are actually demon-possessed, he will exercise them. The disciples do the same, and they bring spiritual healing. And then the last example and type we see is probably the, the greatest showpiece of it, is actual resurrection. Death to life, God actually going against the natural course. Death is a natural course as the result of the damage of sin. Physical death is real, and yet he will counter that. Jesus will raise uh, the widow's son. He will raise uh, the centurion, uh, Jairus' daughter. He'll also raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And throughout church history, even continuing past the canon of scripture, we have church fathers For example, like Augustine, he lived in the fifth century, where as a part of his great theological works that literally uh, form the basis of a lot of our understanding of doctrine and things to believe about God, he will include in those works lists of verified miracles that the early church was aware of, that testified about, and no one could understand and explain what it was. Now there's often a question that comes in the midst of this, that says, as you see it so stacked in scripture, so many times miracles are happening, God is moving, why do we not see it happen as often today? I wanna push back on that firstly, 
to say, are we holding scripture in its right scope and its right context? Because so often in our view, we can say, oh, well, you know, it seems like in the Bible, it was, it was an everyday occurrence that miraculous things were happening. I just wish God did that now. Maybe the frequency is slightly inflated in our view. I'll give you the book of Acts as an example. Acts spans about the early church, the beginning of the, the church, about 30 years. In the book of Acts, we only have 18 accounts of miracles. 18 miracles over 30 years. And so we sometimes forget that the Bible spans great periods of time, great periods of different people and their lives in different places, literal different geographic locations. And so when you, have to, when you look at it, you have to look at it in its context with the full scope of what's going on. The book of Acts, 30 years, different places, different people, different times, you only find 18 accounts of miracles. And so we just need to check, have we inflated our view of what, the frequency of miracles in scripture? And it's actually not helping us today. Now, if your question is, Dunks, should we be seeing more miracles today? I believe so. On the back of that, I don't wanna discredit and say, actually, we, if Paul is trying to encourage us here that we should desire spiritual gifts, desire the move of the spirit, then it's so important that we get behind that and take it seriously. Now, the question is, if we're not seeing that, many, that much frequency in terms of miracles, um, what could be getting in the way? I think there's, two, there's, there's a spectrum, but I think there's two sides to it. The, the one side is, is, is less of a problem, but I think it's a reality in terms of being a limiter in the frequency of miracles we see. The first is those who would wrongly interpret Scripture and apply it wrongly. So James touched on this in week one. There is a movement and a rise uh, known as cessationism, believing that the gifts and the move of the Spirit has ceased in our time. Now, that is not what we hold to, so there may be some wrong interpretation. Can you understand that if you live that uh, view out, your expectation is gonna be very low to see the Spirit move. And so you're not gonna pray for it, you're not gonna desire it, you're not gonna pursue it. Probably gonna be a limiting factor. All the way to the other side, where it gets more dangerous, where we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with others, that this is an area where there has been a lot of abuse, a lot of misuse, a lot of deceit, and even heresy. And that's dangerous because it actually breeds uh, people who are doubtful or fearful of the miraculous. And so it's understandable that it's gonna have a negative effect on our expectation and our faith levels in this area. We have to be honest in this country, we've seen it gone terribly wrong. Off with the fairies is an understatement. When we have people trying to uh, you know, peddle some sort of healing through a, a bottle of doom, it's probably getting a bit dodgy. When you have stories of, uh, of the man of God wanting to fill his pockets and so wants to create a spectacle and so pays a guy to get into a coffin to pretend to be dead so he can resurrect him in front of a crowd, you understand that we've moved into an area of deceit and abuse and misuse and it's probably limited our expectation in the areas of miracles and healings. And so whether it's just wrong interpretation and it's just unhelpful, or it's all the way on the other side where it's actually been abused and misused, we can understand that there's this environment where there maybe is some doubt, there is some fear, and our expectations are low. And yet, what do we see Paul encouraging us with? Because he wasn't just encouraging uh, people in his time. He wasn't just encouraging the early church. He's encouraging you and me today in 2021. Later on in, verse, in chapter 14, he will say this in verse one, we must desire and pursue. Oh, he will say, pursue love and earnestly desire 
the spiritual gifts. Now, you might think, oh, well, you know, we're not seeing the miraculous as much. I also wanna draw your attention to this community. I wanna draw your attention to this family, to just the last year, the stories and testimonies and stories of hope and miracles that have happened just in the midst of us. Stuff that literally science, medical professionals, uh, uh, the world could not explain. Even in this last series, Hope Story, we heard testimonies, testimonies of Bronwyn Sherry, Bronwyn and Ryan, who had had two miscarriages, went through hectic crisis pregnancies and the miracle that is their newborn son. And he sat in this room with us as a testimony. Science can't explain it. Medicine can't explain it. That it had failed twice. They had lost two babies. God, would you come through? And he did. Sam Ronica shared how she had lost her hearing and God restored it, healing her hearing. And doctors can't explain how that happened. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. And then even in our last season of being in person, if you were around during that time, we had a family come on this stage, this very platform, and share the testimony of how at a family event, their son had drowned. Drowned in the pool, could not resuscitate him. No pulse, no breathing. And as they prayed, breath suddenly came back into him. Paramedics can't explain it. Medicine can't explain it. I want you to know that we see these things happen now and God is trying to poke and push and prod us to say this is something I wish you desired more. I wish you pursued it more. Pursue it rightly, but pursue it. The warning is clear. When you're talking about the working of miracles and the gift of healing, it is probably the gift that needs the most maturity because it can be so prone to misuse, abuse. And it does come with some level of our humanity going against it, in our fear and our doubt. And yet God says, I have given you a spirit and it is my spirit empowering you to do it. If we hold on to his truth and we're empowered by his spirit, it's a whole different ballgame. That's the first one. Second heading I wanna take us into is healing explained. I said, we have this one dimensional view of healing. Sometimes we only go to the physical, sickness, pain. God's view on it is way, way higher. Miracles and the miracle of healing is necessitated by the fact that the world is broken. And scripture will tell us it is broken because of the damage of sin. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from God. And it goes so against the created order, the original creation of God, and yet in the midst of it, God is a loving Father who has compassion on us. So I don't want us to miss that God wanting to heal, God wanting uh, to see Him work in the miraculous in our lives is actually highlighting His compassion for us in the midst of its darkness in the midst of the brokenness of the world because the world has got so messed up. It has so, got so far from the original plan. I wanna explain two concepts to you. I wanna take a look at the, the creation model, uh, the, the model for how God actually has made us as human beings, giving us a, a human nature, uh, us being image bearers of God so that compared to the rest of creation, we are different. We are made in the likeness of God. We have His Spirit breathed into us. And then what comes against that created model is a created chaos. We'll speak about that in a moment. But this created model, um, the Bible will speak about basically three dimensions that make up a human being. And the three dimensions are firstly the Spirit. 
This is literally words that are taken from scripture. Spirit, it's that eternal part of us, that eternal being where God will breathe his life into us. And so even when we are dead in our transgressions, our spirit is dead in that. We have then secondly a soul. That is our, and it often will connect it to our mind. And so there is an emotional world that we experience and makes up our nature. There is a mental and a thought world that makes up our experience and our nature. And then we get to the last dimension, the third dimension, which is our body. The literal blood, flesh, and bones that we find ourselves in as we experience the natural world. These three dimensions are all taken straight out of scripture and how God has created us. Now, many will argue about how these three play together, but it's very clear that we're not just one-dimensional beings, there's levels to us. One thing everyone basically will agree on is that in the midst of these three dimensions, there are two very real things. There is the immaterial being and the material being. The spirit and the soul would fall into that which is immaterial, the stuff that we can't see, the stuff that is a, a, a big reality, but we're not necessarily seeing it in our physical world. We will experience its effect though. And then we have the material, our flesh and blood, our, our bones, the, the body we find ourselves in. Now in God's original creation, the immaterial and the material was never meant to be separated. And yet because of sin, and Romans 6 talks about this, because of sin, the damage of sin, the effect of sin, those two things are actually torn apart. It's not how it was meant to be. It's why we will experience things like physical death. It's why we will experience things like a corruptible body. It's all the damage of sin. And this is what I've given the, the kind of uh, name of the created chaos. Because against the created model, against these dimensions that God has brought into our being, there is enemies that rise up against each dimension. And I call it the created chaos because the, the sin and the rebellion and the brokenness didn't come from the creator, it came from the created. And yet we see the ex and experience the chaos that it causes. We see the damage that these enemies to these three dimensions cause. We see sin and eternal death coming against the spirit. We find evil and torment coming against our soul and our mind. And we find, the, find sickness and pain plaguing our bodies, our physical bodies. And so we're gonna look at each one of these dimensions and look at the enemy that raises against it, but simultaneously look at the miraculous work that God brings about to overcome that enemy. First one is the spirit. The enemy is sin and eternal death. We're talking about separation from God. You and me were made as spirits who will live into eternity. I don't know if you know, the grave is not the end. Something comes after. And the question is, will that spirit be present with God or not? And so this enemy of sin, the damage of sin, the, the separation of sin leads to an eternal death. But God will work miraculously through his spirit and through his son to give us a gift, and that gift is salvation. If you wanna talk about the greatest miracle that exists, salvation is it. It is the primary one, it, nothing beats it. When it comes to trump cards, nothing could trump it. Because you're talking about the creator God taking dead spirits and making them live. Taking dead spirits and putting his spirit into them, bringing them back to life, pouring that spirit, the spirit of the creator God into us. I wanna take a look, because I think it's helpful 
in giving us these, uh, giving us a framework as we look at the miraculous. And I think the framework is helpful if we have at our foundation an understanding of the purpose of miracles, because it matters when we're talking about the Spirit. The purpose of miracles, Jesus actually has a purpose for miracles. He was a miraculous guy. He did a lot of miraculous things. Why? It comes out actually as he continues to give the mission over to his disciples, to us even today. At the end of Mark chapter 16, where he gives the great commission, uh, where he says, go into all the world, uh, preach the gospel, make disciples. He talks about something that must accompany that message. This is what it says in verse 17. It says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink dead, any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Great, why? Go to verse 20. And when they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's important that we understand that the gifts of the miraculous, the gifts of healings are meant to be accompanying signs. Accompanying to what? Accompanying to the gospel. The message of Jesus, the message of salvation. They are never meant to be the primary focus. They're there to confirm the message. But the focus is the message. There's three things miracles will always do. Number one, they will expose God's love. The reality of living in our broken world, the reality of the struggle of this world, the darkness of the world, the pain we face, the, the trials we face, the circumstances we face, it sometimes can lead to us believing that God is quite far away and not really caring about us. But when God enacts a miracle in our situation and our circumstance, when He brings healing in an area, what it does is communicates His true heart for us that it exposes his love, his desire for restoration, his understanding that this is not how it was meant to be. It's not what I may, but I've got a better plan in mind. Second thing it does, actually, I mean, the whole reason that that's powerful is even when you see Jesus work miracles, even when you see Jesus heal, what does it always say? It's always accompanied by basically a derivative of the phrase, moved by compassion, he acted. And then he had compassion on them, and he healed. It exposes the, the love of God. Second thing it does is it always leads sinners to repentance. We get caught up sometimes in the gift, caught up in the sign, but we forget the sign is accompanying something that's really important, and that is repentance. That actually it is the focus on the message of the gospel. Because when you see a miracle happening in the gospels, post the miracle, what do you find the person doing? You see it with the demon-possessed man, you see it with the lame man who's brought in by his friends through the roof. They will discover salvation and the forgiveness of sins. The healing, the sign, the miracle is simply just a signpost directing them to a savior. It's leading them to understanding the gift of salvation they have in Jesus. It leads them to worship Jesus as Lord. Not just thank him as, a, as thanks, for the, thanks for the appointment, I'm, I feel much better. It goes far deeper than that. It has a far deeper purpose than that. Signs, miracles, healing is never meant to be some magic trick, some party trick. It's never motivated by a, a, a sense of entertainment. It is motivated, grounded in the gospel. 
And the third thing a miracle will always do is it will bring kingdom victory. The truth is there is a kingdom of light, God's kingdom. And we know that God, Jesus had victory on the cross as he was saying the kingdom is near. And we know that in eternity, we have an eternal hope that his kingship will be for all eternity as he writes every wrong. And we sit in the space where there is a kingdom of darkness that seeks to come against us. And so moments where miraculous signs will happen, where demons will get cast out, where spiritual healing is brought, where it gives us little pictures of the power and the demonstration of God's kingdom now. And we will know it in its fullest then. That's the spirit. Second dimension is the soul, often connected with the mind. That's why it's the emotional world and the thought world, uh, even our mental faculty. And the enemy that comes against it is evil and torment. And uh, I always say it's actually, it's outside and inside, because we have to be real. We understand there is evil outside in the world. There is Satan and demons that will come against us. There are other humans who are sinful and horrible and will sin against us in evil. And that will have an effect that will torment us. But there is also simultaneously a, a torment that we experience inside that doesn't even have to be affected from the outside. Where we will experience that turmoil in our emotional world, in our mind. Can I just tell you, in the midst of that enemy, God is wanting to bring healing and restoration. And I always wanna say it when we talk about these types of things. God gives us so many different ways and so many different things in His love and compassion for us to bring healing in our mental space, to bring healing in our emotional space. He will give us things like modern medicine. He will give us psychologists. He'll give us medical professionals. He'll give us great diagnoses. He will also amazingly and primarily give us the Holy Spirit. Give us the Holy Spirit so that we can in that moment, in that space, in our emotions, in our thoughts, be healthy. Because it makes sense to us, it really does. Like it's very much one plus one equals two. When you have a evil, scary, dangerous, uncertain world on the outside, it's obvious it can make a very scary, evil, dangerous, uncertain world on the inside. One plus one equals two. And yet the miracle in Jesus, the miracle in His Spirit living in each one of us is that everything can be chaotic on the outside, going wrong, opposition, attack, and yet on the inside we're good. That's His desire for us. Me and Nikita, my wife, have gone into a habit. And I think it's so important when we start to talk about things like our soul, our habit is to check in on each other because the truth is sometimes even in parenthood with young, young babies, two of them that take up everything, you have moments where you just need to connect with each other, check in on each other. And so it started as a joke, but it actually is such an important moment and we continue to go with it. We ask each other, how's your heart? And what we're really asking is, is not the superficial what we know, hey, how you doing, how you feeling, how, 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 what you're thinking about, how, how you doing right now. It goes far deeper. It actually is asking the question, hey, how's your soul? Because when you're talking about soul, you're talking about the deepest part of your being. It's why if you're, if you're okay in the deepest part of your being, it doesn't matter what's going on in the outside. If you're good there, if God is strong there, nothing else matters. And I wanna ask you, because maybe it's been a while 
since someone asked you the question. Maybe it's been a while since you asked yourself the question. How is your soul this morning? How's your soul on the 19th of September, 2021? At the depths of you, not just, hey, how are you feeling? Hey, how are things going? Hey, how, how's your soul? Because I want you to know we have a God who is desiring to be involved in that space, to bring healing in that space, to be, bring health and restoration and bring the well-being of that space to life. It's so funny that in the midst of this one plus one equals two reality, a life with Jesus and a life by his spirit looks very different because he does give us a new mind. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new perspective. This is how it's put in Romans 8, verse five. Paul's words to us, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It is completely possible to be fully okay on the inside while everything's going wrong on the outside. I'll give you two examples from scripture, Jesus and Paul. I was specific in giving you both examples because if I just gave you Jesus, we had all discredit ourselves very quickly and say, well, that's Jesus, great, he's Jesus. What about Paul? I know there'll still be some people who are like, yeah, but he's like a super apostle, wrote the Bible. Can I just highlight two moments? And it might be surprising to you, two moments where they were not okay. Two moments where their souls, if you ask them the question, they were not okay. Even Jesus. Mark chapter 14, he has a moment as he is uh, praying just a, a way off from his disciples. He comes back, finds them sleeping, and actually it will express to them the state of his soul in that moment. He actually will says to them, I am sorrowful unto death. It was a moment where Jesus was not okay. As he fully experienced the human, uh, a human body and a human soul, as he understood what it meant to have the emotional turmoil that uh, circumstance and opposition can bring, as he understood the attack that happens in our mind as we go through crisis, the crisis he had was the cross was about to come. He understood what it meant to not be okay. Paul will talk about, we don't know exactly what it was, but he'll talk about a thorn in his flesh. And he'll talk about the turmoil that that had on his emotional state and his mental state throughout his writing. And we don't actually, be, like, we don't actually know if that ever got healed. We don't even know if that, if that thorn ever got taken away. And yet simultaneously, as he talks about the torment of that thing, he talks about the great satisfaction he has in his soul, in his identity he has in Jesus and the mission he has from Jesus. How is that possible? How are you able to work in that type of a space? It is a miracle. Where is it coming from? The answer comes for both of these guys. For Jesus, it comes in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, where it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. For Paul, being an early disciple, it says this in Acts 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There is a source to our emotional health, our mental health, to the health and the well-being of our soul, and it is grounded in the Holy Spirit. 
It's a big statement, but our emotional health, our, uh, our mental well-being is so deeply connected to an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit that I don't believe you could ever get there unless you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. It is a miraculous work of the Spirit in our lives. Third dimension, last dimension, the body. This is where we get to speak about physical healing. I know some people got really excited. The enemy against our body is the corruptible body we find ourselves in. Because of the damage and the effect of sin, it means that these flesh and bones are quite fragile. It means things break. It means things get out of alignment. It means sickness and disease and pandemics can have their way with us. It means that we can uh, feel the brokenness even in our flesh. We can feel sickness, we can feel pain. And God will bring uh, His miraculous work in the way of physical healing. And He gives some the gift to, uh, of physical healing so that they are able to call out to God and He will uh, supernaturally enter into the natural process of events and counter what sin has done in terms of its damage, in terms of disease, in terms of um, what has been broken. And it can sometimes be supernatural and instantaneous. It can sometimes be over uh, a process and, and over time. And also it can be through many, many different means. Jesus didn't heal people only one way. Sometimes he made mud and put it on a guy's eyes and he got his eyesight back. Sometimes he just said a word and the person who wasn't even in the same place as him got healed. It happened a multitude of different ways. The truth is God might do it supernaturally in an instant, but he also might use a doctor. He might use a great oncologist to bring healing to you. And it still is a miracle in the, in, the, in the way of healing. The question that always comes in when we talk about physical healing is what's the connection between physical healing and faith? And there's something I really wanna myth bust because it's so prevalent in church and yet I believe it's such, it's such a dangerous belief to hold to wholeheartedly because what it does is will put the person who believes it or who has been taught it or who has had it spoken over them, it will put them in the place of condemnation. I wanna tell you from scripture, the spirit is never there to put us in a place of condemnation, only conviction. Condemnation says, I'm the problem, I can't do anything about it. Conviction says, hey, there's a problem here, let me go to God, he's gonna sort it out. And the belief is this, that if you don't have enough faith for a healing or a miracle within yourself, it can never happen. And I wanna tell you, it's a bit of a dangerous place to be because it starts to put people who are desperately needing physical healing in the space where they think, I must be the problem. My level of faith is the problem. I'm in the way, I'm, getting in, I'm the limiting factor here. And it leads to a condemnation cycle that I don't believe God's about. And so just to counter it and myth bust it a little, I wanna take three examples from scripture of people being healed. And my question to you is, as I am going through them, ask yourself the question, where is the faith? Point to where the faith is in the situation. And as we do, I think it's gonna throw some, some, some question marks over that kind of a belief. First one is Peter and the disciples. In the early church, they would go to temple to worship together. And as they were entering a temple gate, there was a lame man begging. He had done it for years. They probably had walked past him a thousand times. And the lame man is obviously begging and, and asking for a coin. And Peter will get his attention. And he looks to him thinking he's gonna get a coin. And Peter says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he does. 
Now my question is, did that guy have any faith? No, he was expecting a coin. He didn't expect a healing. He didn't even know what was going on. Second example, there's a centurion, a Roman soldier who has a, a conversation with Jesus, tells him he has a servant back home who is on his deathbed, dying. And he says, Lord, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus replies, and he actually answers the question for us, where's the faith? He says, I have never seen a faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus will point out that the centurion had faith for his servant who wasn't even there sitting on his deathbed, not knowing what was going on. And actually, as Jesus says the word, we found out later it was at that hour that he got healed from such a distance away. Third example, Paul's actually preaching at Lystra, a place called Lystra. He's preaching to a great crowd, generally as I would be preaching to you right now. And as he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit's having a conversation with him. And he, know, he points out and, and has his attention drawn by someone who's in the audience. And it is a lame man. Older gentleman, lame, uh, cannot walk. And as his attention is drawn, the Holy Spirit basically drops into Paul and says, that guy is ready to be healed. He has the faith for it. And so Paul will stop preaching. He'll talk to the man and say, hey, do you have faith to be healed? He said, yes. Do you want to be healed? He'll say, yes. And he says, right, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he does. And so you have three very different examples where it wasn't the lame man sitting at the gate who had the faith. It was Peter who was using his gift of healing. Then you have another example where uh, Jesus will heal uh, the centurion's servants, uh, servant and point to the centurion's faith in calling out, praying, calling out to Jesus saying, hey, would you heal my servant at your word? He'll be healed. And then you have Paul who says, actually, that lame man has the faith to be healed. Just call it out. So he does. I hope you're understanding that it looks very different to it's all about the person who is needing the miracle, who is needing the healing. It's all about their level of faith. It's all about what they're doing, their state for God to work. I think the locus of our faith is secondary. I think the primary thing is that faith is present in the situation. Whether you're the one needing the miracle, whether you're one who has the gift of healing, whether you're the one who is praying for another standing proxy for someone who needs the healing, God will meet us in faith because he has given his spirit to us. There's three, uh, I wanna take us to our, a practical section because I know there will be many of us who are in the midst of needing a miracle and we'll, we'll get there now. But for those who are desiring this gift, for those who actually believe, hey, you know what, I, and Paul makes it very clear, we should pursue and desire the spiritual gifts. And there will be some who actually have a desire for the gift of healing. I wanna encourage you with four, four practical tips. First one I wanna encourage you with as we get into this being applied. Number one is to check our motives. I mentioned how important it is to understand the purpose of miracles. It's so important that at a foundation, at a motivation, our understanding is that these miracles, these signs are to be accompanying, accompanying of a message, that these signs actually are there to build up the body of Christ, that they're there to lead uh, sinners to repentance. When you are praying for that person to be healed, is your personal motivation because you think, hey, I'll look really cool like a magician doing a trick, or is it, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to this person, that you would heal miraculously in the physical, but far more you would reveal their need to be healed in the spiritual? Is that our motivation? We need to check it. 
Second tip is this, dependency is imperative. In uh, John 5, Jesus will speak in verse 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus never worked independently of the father. Jesus never actually worked within his own divinity as he enacted miracles on earth. What he did was acted on the will of the Father. He, he actually went through and wore, he was never independent. And if that is true for Jesus, how much more true is it for us? That we are dependent, understanding that there is a Father in heaven who has a plan and he has given us a spirit. He is the source of the power we aren't. And that's the third, the third tip, is that we should pray for discernment first. If it all hinges on God's will, discernment is gonna be so important. Before we pray for healing, before we pray for a, mir a miraculous thing to happen, we should be praying for discernment first. We should be praying that we would hear God's voice first. In 1 John 5, verse 14 said, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Notice that according to His will. It's that moment for Paul standing in Lystra, where the Spirit will reveal that guy is ready. He has the faith to be healed, now go do it. Our prayer should always be for discernment first. Our prayer should always be, God, what do you wanna do here? What is your will here? Because the truth is Jesus didn't heal everyone. There were lame people that Jesus walked by that didn't get healed. I don't wanna break it to you, it's, it's true. He has a far better plan, far bigger plan, He's far more beyond everything we can imagine. And what it does is set us up for number four. When we understand His will, when you pray for discernment first, it means in these gifts, in things like miracles and healing, we will always operate in faith and confidence. We will move forward with confidence because we know what the plan is. God has revealed it to us. We, will, we know His heart. We know His heart is to heal, to bring restoration. We know He has a desire to meet us in the midst of the darkness that we're facing. We know that. But we might not know exactly how He will address it, but He will. I understand that this, and this is where, where we're gonna end just before we sing. I know that there will be people in this room, there'll be people on the stream right now who you are sitting in the waiting. You're sitting in the not yet. You are praying, believing, hoping for God to move in a miraculous way. I don't know what that looks like, He does. And the question you're asking is when? The question is God, how, why is there a delay? And maybe on the other side, there will be those of us who have had the experience, who have gone through it, where actually the miracle didn't happen like we thought it would. Where actually the person died or actually the, the prayer didn't get answered. And what do we have to say to that? First thing I wanna say is, understand the God that we are talking about. Understand that He is first a Father and understand that He is first sovereign. Meaning He knows the beginning from the end. Meaning that He knows what is best. And so often we get very selfish in the midst of our crisis. We think we know what's best sovereignty of God is such a powerful thing because it helps us trust in who He is and what He is doing, not on what we think He should be doing. 
You know, I was at um, a funeral a few years ago and I, I, I have never been so angry at a funeral. It's the worst funeral I've ever had to sit through. And I was angry because being a pastor, you understand what it's like to be the pastor leading a service or leading a, a, a time like that. And I had to watch this guy absolutely botch it. And it made me so mad. Because the story was it was for a man that many people had known, many people had prayed for. He was in the midst of a cancer battle. And the truth is he died of that cancer. And there were thousands of people praying that God would heal him, miraculously would come through and heal him. And it didn't happen like that. And sitting in that, in that funeral where maybe the physical healing didn't come, the only message this guy had standing on stage was, God had heard our prayers, he didn't heal, but don't worry, God sees your broken heart and he'll heal that. Do you know how angry it made me? Because it's only half the message. The truth is, and we can take great faith out of this, we can take great courage out of this, is God will always heal. It is guaranteed. The question is, will it happen this side of eternity in the physical? Or will it happen then when He does it completely? Because in that moment, as that man had died from cancer and we gathered to celebrate his life, what he should have been saying is, isn't it beautiful that in this moment right now as we gather, he is completely fully healed in the, in the arms of Jesus. He might not have been healed in the physical, but understand God's view and God's picture is so bigger than just the physical because we get healed in the eternal. We get healed in the spiritual and we get given resurrected bodies that are not corruptible, that cancer doesn't have any, uh, any chance in. It's half the message. And I wanna encourage you, if you're in that space where you're waiting, where you're hoping, where you're believing and it hasn't happened yet, we have the beauty of the Holy Spirit as being that maximizer that raises our expectation levels, that raises our faith levels and actually causes us to pray more, to go again, to understand and trust, hey, God's got a plan here. God, we actually wanna come under your will because we know it's best. It's not actually ours. It's not how we think it should go. God, would you align us with your spirit? Would you align us with your will? Why don't you stand with me just before we sing? Father God, as we prepare our hearts right now, I'm so aware that there are those of us who are in the midst of need, who are in the midst of having a circumstance where your miraculous power is needed. Lord, as you prepare our hearts, I ask right now that even as we sing, you'd be doing business in hearts, that you'd be doing business in us, that we've come under your truth, that we have aligned ourselves with your will. But we're so blessed because you have given us the gift of your spirit. You've given us the gift of miracles. You've given us the gift of healing. And we know you're a God who has compassion for us. And Lord, for those of us who haven't taken the step yet of being healed, by the miracle of salvation. I pray you do business right now, even as we sin. Lord, would you prepare our hearts for uh, after this, when Lord, you will do great ministry with us, when you will answer prayer, where you will. We come with great expectation, with our faith levels high, knowing that you're a God who has a desire for this. And so we will pursue it. We will pursue you working in the miraculous. We will pursue you bringing us the gift of salvation. We will pursue people being healed in this place. 
even people outside this place, even as we stand proxy for them, as we call out like the centurion did for others. Lord, would you work? Would you prepare our hearts? Would you do business? We turn our focus now to you. We turn our hearts to you. We worship you. We're gonna raise our voices. And as we raise our voices, we raise our hearts. We raise our expectations. We raise our faith levels. Would you speak to us and do much in us? Let's sing together.